Welcome to our podcast, The Relevance of Sydney Bank's Role. This podcast was born out of a deep feeling. It consists of a series of conversations with individuals who have been SID students for years and also dear friends of him. There is a question to explore, certainly understanding the relevance of his role as why. Why is it so crucial? So welcome to a shared conversation that comes out of a feeling to keep Sydney Banks' understanding alive as a level of consciousness. This is the story, a story full of hope and transformation, and every time we're reminded of it in the stillness of our minds, life is just but a beautiful, loving, and deep journey not to be missed. Well, hello, everyone. Here we are in our podcast, um, The Relevance of Sydney Bank's Role. And today in this episode, we have um, somebody that I met through her books, which are called My Guide Inside, um, and her name is Krista Kemsel. And um, it's a beautiful book that was written in English, and then she had it translated in Spanish. And that's when I... I I had the book in English, I had read it, but then when I read it in Spanish, I, it was a, a different experience because it's a different language, and it was a beautiful book, and, you know, so I just felt a gratefulness that um, this is being done uh, for kids. Beautiful. That's, you know, so thank you, Krista, for accepting this invitation. I love to have you here. It's an honor, and... Well, I'm going to let you introduce yourself to our um, audience, and please, and we'll see where it take, this takes us. Beautiful. Thank you, Anna. Thank you for the invitation. I'm, um, since you invited me, I've really enjoyed reflecting on the topic, the relevance of Sydney Bank's role. I'm a teacher um, since back in the 70s, and um, as you mentioned, I now have curriculum that I've authored since retiring from the school system and that's been such a pleasure and a joy and um, really loving connecting more with the um, community of teachers in my own uh, home British Columbia and then also in the global community so thank you for this. Um, I really feel that Sydney Bank's role is inextricably linked to the principles um, it, I think his role is really vital when we're reflecting on the three principles. And I'll, I'll just um, highlight certain points on my learning journey that really um, would be examples of this. Um, in the summer of 1975, um, my friend, oh, excuse me, I'm gonna have a little drink. <laughs> my friend, um, Bob Campbell was living in the Gulf Islands and um, I had just come home from Europe and uh, went to visit him there. And he was really actively searching for the meaning to life as many young people um, our age were in the 70s. And uh, as luck would have it, he was neighbors with um, Chip and Jan Chipman 
And um, during that summer, Bob saw this amazing change in Chip. And he was really um, intrigued by that and touched by that. And so he and, and Chip would have these conversations and Chip um, recommended that he that Bob go to um, hear Sydney Banks in person. Bob was, even though he saw the change in Chip, um, he was really skeptical thinking there was someone really that he could learn from right in the island, right, you know, 20 minute ferry ride away. But he went. And after that talk that he went to, so beautiful, he knew he found the answer he was looking for. He actually consciously acknowledged that his search was over. His search for the meaning to life was over. So beautiful. And I really had thought that we were parting ways because Bob was so interested in joining something and, you know, really becoming a searcher. And I was not interested in joining anything. So to my surprise, at late summer of 1975, Bob came to visit me in Vancouver, where I was a student at the University of British Columbia. And he came with the announcement that he found the secret to life, that happiness was within, and that thought created reality. Well, I'm very glad I let him in the door. Um, it was all overwhelming, as you can imagine, that someone would come and say they found the secret to life and what they'd heard from this man in a neighboring island. But there was a feeling around what he was saying that really captured me. So even though I was arguing intellectually with the idea that thought created reality, I couldn't help but be captured by the feeling. And for whatever reason, perhaps it was my age, I was 21 years old, I was a student, I was used to exploring and experimenting. And almost immediately, I began experimenting with this fact of thought creating reality. And I became really quite pleased and happy to see that there was a logical path. And indeed, it was true for me. <clears throat> and something that happens when you see it's true for you you just have this sense that, well, if it's true for me, an ordinary person, it must be true for everyone. Mm. So um, I was actually giving my education degree one last chance. Like I said, I'd taken a year off. I was in Europe because I really didn't think I was going to be a good teacher because I couldn't reach those children who were hard to reach or who were shut down or were acting out or being belligerent. We couldn't reach them. The rest of the kids, if they were on a learning path, I was doing just fine. And also it seemed the harder I tried and focused intellectually on helping these kids, the worse off it became. So anyway, after this little visit, I started um, my very long-term practicum of my um, program. And... To my delight and surprise, all of a sudden, without intellectually analyzing it, all of a sudden I was able to reach these hard to reach kids. 
and it was it was effective. And in fact, the um, UBC professors that would come and and grade you on how you're doing, they they kind of noted that it was a little bit of a specialty, even even at this early stage of my uh, learning about the principles. So <clears throat> Sid's role in all this was that um, he really transmitted the secret to life by holding these public talks and getting the word out and sharing just his essence and his message. Um, of course, with these um, results, I determined I was going to continue my university program and carried on. And um, it's actually the reason I'm a teacher today. Um, <clears throat> about six months after this visit, Bob invited me to come to um, one of the Gulf Islands to hear Sid in person. And um, I was very happy to accept. And we went over and I was so struck. Well, in those days, let me back up a little bit, there were no recordings. There was nothing. There was just this word of truth being transmitted from one person to another. And it came with this deep, beautiful feeling of peace and also of joy. So when I met Sid for the first time in the spring of 1976, I was so struck by his presence, his demeanor, his, it was almost as if he was glowing. He and his wife had just returned from Hawaii and there was just this calmness and joy and just this um, beautiful presence. And his talk really, I found very profound and it just felt what my thoughts were, all the highest teachings I had to that point in my life at age 21, it just felt like things were being brought to life. And I was really happy. After the talk, he, um, people gathered around to ask questions. And I thought, um, I was kind of back in my intellect thinking, well, I'm a university student, I'll make up a very intellectual question and here I go, I'll just kind of stand in line, you know, wait till it's my turn. And um, as I was there waiting, his eye caught mine just a few seconds. And it was amazing how the question I was actively forming just kind of dissipated. And it was replaced by this beautiful feeling. And what I thought was, it's actually the inner wisdom that I'm craving and yearning and wanting. It's not more intellectual pursuits. And I felt just this beautiful feeling. Needless to say, I didn't ask the question. <laughs> but um, his how this relates to the relevance is his willingness to give attention to each and every one of us tirelessly. There we were, you know, it was a very busy, uh, packed little um, community hall. And he was willing to answer one question after another after his talk. And um, so I'm, I'm really touched by that, that he would give anyone and everyone his attention. There was no judgment. 
as you were saying when we started, there was a, a you know, he was really saw us all as as innocent. It was beautiful. When I went back to um, the university classes on the Monday, this was a weekend event. My uh, peers were like, what happened to you? You look great. You look so different. It was really a profound experience to hear him for the first time. Um, It was about a month later, um, Sid had organized um, a little retreat at um, a seaside um, location in Washington State. And I got special permission from my professors to attend, skip classes for several days to attend this conference. And things, what really struck me about this conference was that um, Sid was so lighthearted and so willing to kind of go with what was happening in, in the circumstances and there was one evening in particular, people who attended will remember this. Um, the, um, it was a big, a big hall where we all were eating communally. The, uh, and, um, and then the talk was after the dinner. And every time Sid would start talking, the dishwashers would start clanging the dishes. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how many times it happened. And he just thought it was so funny. And so we all thought it was so funny. And by the, the, the time the kerfuffle settled down, we were all so ready to listen. It was, I, I don't think I'd ever listened as deeply in my life as, as at those uh, talks there at CPEC. Um, so that was really beautiful. I was still living in Vancouver in 1976 and um, the interest in Sid's um, message had had grown beyond the island where he lived. And what would happen was um, there'd be these regular meetings and we would play, I don't know who was in charge, but whoever was in charge um, arranged to play these cassettes of Sid's talks. And um, we've got to hand it to Sid again. He knew that these recordings were as valuable as sitting and listening to him in person. The other thing I I would say about his relevance of his role here is he really knew there was value in us speaking to each other. And he knew those who had heard even just a tiny little bit or had a wee glimmer of this understanding could be helpful to others who were just um, being introduced to it. So um, kudos to him for knowing that um, this could be transmitted so well and for trusting those um, folks who had a glimmer to to start sharing. It was beautiful. In um, 1977, um, we actually went to Salt Spring Island for our honeymoon, Bob and I. And we determined that we were going to move there. (laughs) We went for a three-week honeymoon, and while we were there, we were like, wow, we might as well just move here. And 
And it was quite an interesting time because there, we weren't the only ones moving to Salt Spring Island to take advantage of the little community that was forming around um, the people who were interested in Sid's message. But also he was holding um, weekly talks at a, at a little lakefront, um, beautiful little lakefront hall. Look at all these people that are living in such a happy state. And that really got them intrigued to listen to Sid. So again, I'm just really um, touched by Sid's ability to be open and let things unfold and proceed one foot in front of the other and, and, and to get the message out, to get um, the statement actualized about changing psychology and psychiatry. Um, so those were beautiful times, really uh, special times on the early days on Salt Spring Island. Um, now I'm going to fast forward to 1991. In the summer of 1991, oh, we, we all left the island <laughs> um, in the late 70s. Sid and his wife, Barb, left also. So we went back to Vancouver and just lived, ordinary folks doing their thing, had a little family by this time. In 1991, we moved back to Salt Spring Island in July. And Sid moved back to Salt Spring Island in July. And so at this time, our relationship really deepened and we became like family. He was always very kind and we were friendly to each other. But back in the early 70s, there were so many people, we weren't really hanging out with him. But now here we were in 1991 and we became very, very close friends. And it really just hanging out with them now, going for tea or lunch or a hike with the dog or hanging out with the children and his grandchildren, whatever it was, we really, it really cemented in my mind. And I learned so much about how he was in the world, just as an ordinary citizen in the community. He was... Um, he was so kind and generous and, and I was really touched because he always had a keen eye to helping those who were less fortunate. And he would do such thoughtful, unexpected things for people that um, he would come across. It was really a, a big learning for me to see how he um, <clears throat> lived what he knew. Now, this part of my learning is that um, Sid was so closely connected to helping children and youth. Um, his grandchildren lived on the island. Uh, our sons were, were boys at the time. And it was just a real pleasure to see him with the children and youth. And um, also to have talks with him because of course by now I'm I'm full-on teaching and just how he would um, really emphasize that you can only build them up 
And he would really encourage me to um, see what is with the children and build them up and pay attention to their human dignity Mm. and honor that human dignity, as well as give them hope. All of them, every single one was deserving of dignity and hope. It was really, really beautiful teaching for me. Um, I I was privileged to teach his um, several of his grandchildren, and so we became very close, very uh, tight knit little family grouping, extended family grouping, and it was just a joy to, um, as you can imagine, go to work each day here in paradise, working with these beautiful children, including Sid's grandchildren, and just enjoying the learning and the sharing and the fun times. And encouraging the children, helping them grow past any um, difficulties or challenges they may have had. At one point, I began... um, giving little conferences for teachers. We had a little curriculum way back when uh, a fellow from Florida, the late Kef Tim and I, and we would do these conferences around this three principles curriculum. And um, one time we, I, I arranged a, a beautiful conference in Vancouver and um, to our surprise, Sid magically appeared all dressed up, beautifully dressed up with a, um, you know, a sport jacket and a tie. And just, we had just started our group with, on a discussion, uh, a room full of teachers. We probably had 40, 50 teachers there. We just got them going on this discussion and he kind of beckons to us and um, we follow him out <clears throat> to the courtyard of the hotel. And he's like, oh, let them talk. It's good for them. And there and then he mentored us we were mentoring the teachers and he came. I still to this day don't know how he (laughs) found out uh, exactly the details and how he knew to just show up right when it was just the perfect time. And we were so touched, as you can imagine, we were just uh, delighted by this um, attention of our special mentor. And The point of this is that um, I happen to know that he did this for many people. He would very thoughtfully surprise them here or there or go to someone's work and give them a book or whatever it was that he could see to do was really a a, a thoughtfulness on his part and a a joy. The other thing about Sid that I really saw living in the same community as him is how inclusive he was. I mean, his message is about being inclusive. In education, that's a huge, huge word to be a teacher of of inclusion, to include all children and all youth, despite what difficulties or challenges they have. To see him in action in his community um, at the simplest, you know, whether it would be at a dinner or walking down the street and you're shot and then you go into a shop, whatever it was, he just really um, exuded this feeling. We were all included. It was very powerful. 
yet at the same time so ordinary. I loved, you know, Sid had a message for me as a teacher. He had messages for kids about dealing with, um, you know, getting on with their parents. I loved how, um, as you were saying early on about the innocence, he really showed all of us, no matter what role, he showed us that there was... um, an innocence, a psychological innocence. I think that's so beautiful that the simplicity of his message was valid for a child, a youth, a teacher, a parent, whatever whatever your role, he just evened the playing field and had the same message for each and every one of us. I think that's really important to note um, in the relevance of his role that we were all included, the message was simple, and it really pointed us to our our own innocence, psychological innocence, and the psychological innocence of others. Um, As I mentioned back about Seebeck, and I think it's worth restating, about Sid's lightheartedness. He was so fun to be with. And um, I know that, um, for example, our, our son was in, got engaged. And uh, I, I remember we were, Bob and I were walking his dog in the, in the forest and I couldn't believe how many mother-in-law jokes he pulled out of the bag. Because <laughs> I was obviously going to be a mother-in-law very soon. And it was kind of a, it was a beautiful wedding, but it was a very short engagement. And we were all a little bit, wow, <laughs> our son's getting engaged. <laughs> Um, but just things like that. He just was so lighthearted. And around my work as well, um, you know, I'd share beautiful stories of what I would, of how the people, the kids were changing and, and the youth were changing. And there was always this lightheartedness. So you didn't actually, I learned, hopefully I learned it well, to never take credit you know, you just kind of lighthearted, enjoy what you see, but it's like absolutely nothing to do with you. And in that way, with the intellect not taking credit, you're open for more. I have to tell you, um, one day I realized, you know, I, I was working full, full time in the public schools here, and I realized if you're using the three principles, there will be results, is the thought that came to me. Mm. My um, intellect kind of gulped, you know, a little bit at the responsibility, but I, I kind of chewed that thought aside and, and just stood firm with that feeling of going into work each day, um, just doing my best not analyzing or processing where am I at today or whatever, none of that, just going and being present with these kids, using my skills and my wisdom together to um, 
help move these children along on their learning path. I think um, for me, one of the most important things, and I use it, I'm now back to um, working with educators. And, you know, you look through, through time, and Sid would be the first to say these principles were timeless. But um, I think the three principles equation that he has in his book published in 2006 is really where it's at as far as being new for the world and the relevance of him putting mind plus consciousness plus thought equals reality together to teach um, anyone who's open to it. To me, that's really so, so relevant for the world to further all the wisdom that's in there, to take it, to evolve it one step further. He did that. He created that equation. He is evolving us further um, in humanity. Um, I think otherwise, I still would be looking to the sky and looking to the books and wondering where's the answer. So I think it's significant that... Um, he Sid always shared with us that it's it's here, it's now. The physical and the spiritual are one and the same. I can't claim to understand that, but hearing that and just feeling a sense of peace around that is is very meaningful to me. And he gave us that. He joined it into the oneness for us. Um, so I always love to include that equation with, you know, with the, um, with the little kids, you say things in little kids' way, but for the teenagers, they're at the stage of that development where I've included that. I think it's even on page one or two of the curriculum. It's Sid's equation. And then it's just this beautiful little framework. And from there, you bring it alive. You discuss it. What does it mean? And you, and you draw out of the children their understanding. And it's so beautiful. Um. As I was saying, we were very close and became family from 1991 um, till his passing in 2009. Um, we were privileged to visit with him the day before he passed on. And as you can imagine, You know, he was very, he was a very wonderful patient um, and did everything 
that the doctors offered. And we went to visit him at his, he was at home. And we brought a little slideshow of our son's, our other son's recent wedding, the youngest boy was now getting married 10 years after the other one that I mentioned. And we showed him the little, obviously he couldn't attend the wedding. Um, he was too ill by that point. So we brought him the little slideshow. And even then, I mean, he loved it and he loved it. We, there were lots of um, common, the guests were, you know, his friends too. And even then he was uh, teasing Bob and me. <laughs> Um, and even then he was um, so interested and so lucid and so loving. And it was just, um, as you can imagine, a very powerful, touching visit. But we left there and we knew he was ready to go home. He was, he was ready. And we understand that he's, he stopped seeing people because he didn't want to be drawn into the illusion anymore. He was ready to go home. So right till, you know, from the first day I got his message in 1975, came through Bob and it was so powerful, changed my life right to the very end of his life, um, so powerful, so meaningful, the relevance of his role. None of us would we be where we are without his loving dedication to sharing these principles with the world. So for me, I think we, we serve ourselves when we give credit where credit is due. If you look at any teachings, you look at the ancient teachings from various cultures and religions, you look at modern teachings, it's there. Give credit where credit is due. When we do that, there's a sense of freedom because we've told the whole truth. So, I think his role, as I was saying in the beginning, I think it's absolutely vital to consider his role when we reflect on the three principles. I don't think they can be separated. They are forever entwined. Um, also, Sid obviously passed on in 2009, but he really passed on the mantle to many people myself included, knowing that I would work with teachers and help in that way. And he also all along really helped us to see that there's no end to this learning journey. And I think that's a, a really um, powerful, so many powerful messages. Yeah. That's, that's one that I really value because the intellect could kind of, oh yeah, now I've got it. And then you're, you're stuck and you've lost the feeling for it. So um, those are my reflections on um, Sydney Banks' role and the relevance around the three principles. 
Well, thank you so much, Krista. I just don't even know where to... Um, I'm really touched. I'm really touched by, by, by everything you're saying um, because this is, this is the feeling, you know? This is the feeling. And um, the substance is there because there is true. There's truth, and he says it. Truth was before, even before this. It's always been there. So it's not about, it's not about truth, but it's, it's where the substance is. It's, it's, I always have to go back to that. It's his story. And there's something about what you said, well, you said so many things, but honoring <clears throat> the truth of his story that that's something, it's, it's the substance of it, um, where it brings us all to that ordinary playing field. And I love what you said, you know, I really felt it um, when he just went to, the, to ordinary people. He tried and talk to, you know, I imagine experts or, you know, renowned people, and it wasn't like that, but he just stayed open, let it unfold, and here comes ordinary people, and that's so powerful. We have, there's nothing we have to do or be to, to be. We don't have to, um, make up anything. And through that, through that ordinary, it takes us to a beautiful journey. Not to be missed, as I said. Not to be missed. Mm -hmm. I'm very touched. So I, I you know, um, because this is what I'm feeling. It, everything that you have said in your story, you know, when and, and I remember George Prince, he calls a definite moment where you, how did I get here? And it's like, I was looking for something, but didn't know. And suddenly, oh, this is the secret. Oh, that's what it was. And I, I because we all have that story. And, and I remember, and it was like, oh, after 50 years, oh, that's what it was. Yeah, it's very touching how mm. we, we know it when mm. we see it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and as you explained it, and I remember um, hearing it for the first time and just said, you know, now you can go and have fun. Yes. Go and leave. Yes. And that takes away this guru pedestal <laughs> thing. He's telling, go and leave, have fun. <laughs> Yearning, as you call it, for your own inner wisdom, you know, and that's, that's, that's one of his teachings. No, it's in you. You don't need any, you don't need me in that sense. Yeah. You don't need me. Don't put me in any place. I'm just like you. I just saw it. And, and I always say that he had the courage to sh start sharing it. And there are stories about that. 
you know, how he first started, that takes courage. That takes courage. And, um, but here we are, 40, 75, 73, 47 years later, mm-hmm. and I just feel so thankful yeah. because um, life was just going by. And, and it was like, why? There's something missing here. There's yeah. something off. With creation, this doesn't make sense. Why psychologically, we're not okay in that sense. You know what? Right. We're missing something. And then, no, 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 you are okay. That's what you're missing, et cetera, et cetera. There's so many points that you cover that I just, um, um, oh, thank you. For, thank you so much for this conversation. I'm, I'm, as I said, I'm, I'm very touched, you know. Thank you, Anna. I'm just was, as I said, it was such a, a pleasure to reflect on, and I'm, I'm one person, he, you know, who was I? I was just this, this kid, 21 years old, yet he would give me his attention and I was open and interested. He was open and interested to speak to me. Yeah. So you just imagine my story multiplied by how many people he saw us all and included us all. Yes. It's just um, so powerful. I just love, love, love the topic of this podcast. Anna. Thank you. Yeah. You know, it came out uh, when I was in Costa Rica with um, Elsie Spittle. Yes. And I'm translating her. And in the middle of it, it just came. And I said, Elsie. <laughs> This is what it is. And she's like, what? This is the title. She's just laughing. What's the title? The Relevance of Sin. And then we just continue. And it was that moment, you know, where everything stops. And it's like, I have to write it down because I don't want it to go. We right, were not right. being recorded, nothing. So it was like, write it down, write it down. Oh, yes. I loved it. And then. And then, you know, here it is. That was in October, end of October. Here we are in March, um, five months later, and I'm listening to you and how precious it is because, oh, there is such a relevance of this role. And it is his story. Yes. And and it needs to be, um, this is, we need to talk about this. We need to talk about this. So, um, Thank you. And thank you for, you know, I work with kids, you know, I work with kids in different scenarios. I tutor kids, um, minority kids when I was in college. Um, They used to bring like minority kids. I was in in Massachusetts and it was a program called A Better Chance. And they would bring um, a dozen of kids who were doing really good and and then they would go to high school there, and then um, they would um, get them scholarships to scholarships to Ivy University. Oh. And I was their tutor, so I worked right. with kids. And you know, the only difference was they were very intelligent. They had it all that that steam, you know, that he speaks about, and it was in the feeling. And I just yeah. I believed in them, and and giving that. Um, now I understand that, you know, more clearly they would pick it up and yes. then they would start yes. believing in themselves. That's all they needed. Yeah. Yes. And then now I work with kids that, um, 
that are in shelters, separated oh. from their families, you know, oh. here in Arizona. Beautiful. Because that's what we're experiencing right now in the States. Yes. And, um, and I bring, and I just talk to, oh. um, I talk to them about Sid and his Beautiful. story. Yes. That's what I do. And they just listen in the middle of that circumstance, which can be chaotic, chaotic, or tragic. Only there is a place of just inner um, stillness and quietness, and and there is a time to hear that story. And that's what I do. I, I don't, you know, I there, there's noise, so I I don't give a lot of information. None of that. I just right. tell them his story. Yeah. And they like it. And they, you know, so that's, we talk about that and just. Beautiful. But, but you said something that really touched me, which is human dignity, you know. Yes. Human dignity and, and um, hope. And I, I try to give that. You know, there's dignity, even if you're in a shelter. Absolutely. There is dignity. And um, yeah. Beautiful. That's, what wonderful that's, work you're doing. Oh, thank you. And yes. I, I'm, I'm very touched, Krista. So um, thank you so much. I don't know if you want to say anything else or... I was just so grateful for mm. this opportunity, really. Thank you. Oh, thank you so much. Bye.